Hi everybody and welcome to the new episode of the End of Sales podcast. I'm joined again by show regular Anthony Dunn. How are you Anthony? Uh, evening Stephen, Do, doing alright mate. Uh, thanks very much. How are you guys? I'm, do, I'm doing fine, do, doing well. We're having a lot to cover on this on this podcast anyway, so it'll be an interesting one. And we're also glad to be joined by a very special guest, Nora Brad- Bradburn. Many people may know her from being a regular on a state of mind, where the guys over there do a fantastic job. It's a fa- fa- very much a favourite Celtic <coughs> podcast of mine, and we are delighted that she's joined us. How are you, Laura? Not too bad. Glad you're taking the reins on this one tonight, and I can just just answer the <laughs> questions for a change. I know. I was, I was sitting writing the topics out, and I sent them across this morning to you guys. And I was sitting. There's so much more, and there's so much more things that could have been included in that. But to try and keep it on there a certain time scale, you just have to go with the flow, so to speak. But we'll we'll crack on to. The, the first topic, and that's the game of the weekend, the Glasgow Derby game, which was a Sunday. Now, what we're seeing was another, for me anyway, the second end of season type, pre-season friendly type game. I know that we had shots and chances, but most of them for me were down to keepers and act very much like the, the Dundee and Eddie game. Well, they peppered their, their shots with goal, uh, peppered the, the goal with shots, but the keeper just kind of sat and goal and saved them. They didn't really have to, to make an effort to get them. I'll go to you, Laura, first. What was your takeaway from the weekend's game? What springs to mind when you think of it? Um, well, the first half was like very different to the second half. It kind of put me in mind of um, one of the last times we played them, where it was kind of, you know, I was very encouraged by what the the play was. I thought I, I tweeted at one point during the first half, "This is like a different team because we were we were playing almost kind of Brendan Rodgers style football, you know, very much up in the the final third of the pitch, looking for a way through, knocking the ball about and uh, it was proven really effective and, and Rangers really didn't get out their, their own half for 20 or 25 minutes in the first half. Um, but again, you know, what disappointed me more than more than anything was we just failed to take chances when we're in a situation like that and, and you can't afford that because as much as I'm loath to admit it, you know, Rangers have proved this, this year more than any that they can score goals. So you can't really afford to be you know, 1-0 up or, or something like that and waste five, six, seven chances expecting to come away with something without without them coming back with an answer for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you mean in terms of, obviously, there was spells in the game, especially in the first half, where we did play well. There was some good combination of football, again, some pretty passing and some shots on target. But my, my big takeaway from the game was, I don't know about yourself, Anthony, but it just felt like to me that both teams really couldn't be ours going for the throat. It just seemed like, especially in the second half, it was just kind of an acceptance that it was going to be a draw. And there were, it seemed like they were playing out. It didn't feel like a Glasgow derby to me. There was no, as I said previous, uh, pre- the previous evening on Twitter, I wanted to see the, the fight, the drive, the passion. But I, I seen none of that. It, it, it just seemed to me that it was just quite a quite passive game. Yes, as I said, but there, there was some good football. And as Laura rightly pointed out, it reminds of the Rogers era. But... Partly, I think, as well. I just don't think Rangers could be arsed. Is that what you took away from it, Anthony? Yeah, well, I suppose, you, you know, Rangers obviously had the game on, on Thursday night, um, so they would have been, you know, feeling the after effects of that. Um, in terms of, yeah, it was, a, you know, the proverbial game of two halves, I feel. I, I did think that for the first, you know, like Laura says, first 25 minutes, half an hour, I was pretty impressed with the way we turned up. Um, it was... You always think of the real one of the real low point performances wise um this season was the, the first derby at Celtic Park where we you know we literally didn't lay a glove on them, we didn't even get a shot on target. Um but I did feel in this game 
certainly in the, the early stages that we we did bring it a wee bit, and we and we there was definitely a wee bit more intensity to start, and there was a wee bit more desire to try and, and get the game won to to start with. But I think it was just the like we, we were saying the proverbial again of not taking chances um, when they're when they're offered on a plate to us. To, to be honest, we made we created some really clear cut opportunities in that first half that. We really could have just put the laces through it, stick the ball in the net, and we're all happy. Um, and then we get undone with our Achilles heel again, just a, a really silly piece of play to give away a, a needless corner. And yet again, we're defending at them as um, Sunday League style. It was just, it's so frustrating. And um, But yeah, the, the, the second half, it, it did get sort of fizzled out, isn't it? Um, it, it didn't really... There was no really, like you say, much effort from from either side uh, to win it. I can't really remember a a real clear cut chance in the second half. Maybe you know the one that perhaps uh, Edward could have got on the end of the the cross in from the right hand side. But apart from that, the, the second half was was really a a non a non event really. Yeah, I mean, I see there being a party of one when I'm saying that the, the whole game for me was it was it was it was a damp squid and. I just personally believe that myself. I mean, there was a bit, a bit in the first half where one of the commentators said that Celtic think think they're close to Rangers here, but they're actually miles off it. And when you when you looked at it, it did look like that. And another thing that shocked me as well, Laura, was when it got to about the 60th minute mark, you seen Celtic's legs falling off completely. And as Anthony rightly said, that Rangers played in a bit of week, you'd expect that more from them. But I I just seen them, and it just seemed like they couldn't run. It this it just seemed like everything was heavy, everything was laboured. What issue do you think that stems from? Is it just the the whole season as a as a symptom and conceding the set piece goal as well, Laura? Well, I, I think the I think the fitness issue has been an ongoing one for you know the entire season, and and that's what I find so frustrating about you know David Turnbull getting taken off with the regularity that he gets taken off because he actually looks like one of the fitter players that we have in the squad so it kind of baffles me that he ends up being the one taken off when you like like you say there's plenty walking around the pitch kind of slogging a little bit but I mean that's something that I think has been a hangover from Neil Lennon's time that we've just not had time to sort out unfortunately you know it's only a few weeks since he left and as much as they might have um, put other measures in place to increase their fitness, it's not going to have taken effect by now and and unfortunately that's the situation we're left in. But just to pick up on something that you did say about Rangers couldn't be bothered either, I think that was one of my main frustrations at the end of the game. I was a bit like, you know that way when you think, okay, we weren't great and, and we didn't really deserve to win it and whatever, but... We've been soundly beaten in the league this season by a team that I don't think are very good. Like I'll be, I'll be really frustrated if they end up getting the invincible record, because they're not a they're not a patch on our invincibles team, or they're not even a patch on uh, other teams that have played that well in a season. You know, I I don't really understand how they've ended up in such a strong position because they they don't look like a particularly good football team to me. Yeah. I'm not- I echo what you're saying there, definitely. I think even if you look at the players that we have this season, on paper, everything looks good on paper, but, I mean, international-wise experience, you would expect that squad to go on and destroy the SPFL. And you're 100% correct, Laura, when you say it's so frustrating when you look at the end of the game. And you could almost say to yourself, yeah, we didn't play great, but the the other team kind of stopped us from playing. But as I said, 
Rangers couldn't literally looked like they couldn't be arsed in the second half, and we still couldn't take advantage of that. And I'll bring it. I'll bring it on the list. I, f- I think that was a perfect opportunity in the weekend's game to lay down mark, lay down a marker. And I think John Kennedy said it during one of his press conferences that Celtic need the shoulder still here. But for me, Alfie, that that's anything but what happened. It's almost like we've let this season die so quickly. It, it's unimaginable of any other Celtic team. Yes, there's been a few in over the years who who've had crap seasons, but this this season especially this season because it meant so much to us and the Celtic support and. Uh, Celtic Football Club as well in terms of the historic thing of it but what did you think in terms of the the, the game the Celtic does feel the the game the show they're alive and kicking Anthony well yeah I mean it's it's very similar to the the Dundee United game um, a fortnight previously I mean the the sort of the mission after Rangers won at St Mirren on the Saturday was okay right okay I mean it, you know the, we know the season's been gone for, for a long time now but don't lose it at the first opportunity and make sure they don't come to our place and win it there either. And we very spinelessly for me um, failed on, on, on both fronts. You know, the, the Dundee United game uh, was so frustrating to watch. You were getting into all of these really good positions to score a few goals and, you know, it's, worth, uh, it's a different conversation. But the, at the first available chance to just Keep it going for that little while longer. Uh, we capitulated, and you know Rangers didn't even have to worry about coming to our ground to, to win it. It was already in the bag, and it, so again you're looking. And and I, as I say, I did sort of feel like we were at least given try to give it a go first 20, 25 minutes. But yeah, like you say, after that it fizzled out. I mean, the second half, it, it, Laura's absolutely spot on. I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't think David Turnbull was having one of his better games. But I still just, but that could that finger could be pointed at so many of the of the front uh, the front team at, at Celtic on Sunday, and I just thought, why why are we taking this guy off again? It's um, I, I I really don't understand it. I mean, he, Ryan Christie wasn't doing anything, you know, to, to merit him staying on. I've I've had a few debates online with with, with guys about uh, Edward. Uh, for me, Edward really, you know frustrated me again so I, I, I really don't understand why he took Turnbull off but um, yeah just the, the substitutions they weren't very they, they didn't enforce any sort of tactical change it was very like for like there was just nothing to really sort of light the fire a wee bit it, it, it was just a total damp squib and like you say you've, you've failed to lay down a marker when you've been presented with the opportunity and like you say I mean it would be an absolute travesty if, if this mob are allowed to have the 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 title of um of unbeaten in a league season because I'd, I've said it on this uh, show before and and I agree wholeheartedly with what Laura was saying there. I, I think they're a a spectacularly average team who have just found this little bit of momentum to to grind out results and you got to give them credit for that. But um yeah, for them to even be mentioned, uh for them even to think they could be mentioned in the same breath as uh, Brendan Rodgers' team is. Uh, is laughable, to say the least. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the subs, Anthony, you made a great point. They were so uninspiring. And what killed me, he brings on James Forrest, right? He's a right winger, we all know that, and stuffs him in the number 10 position, like he did against Dundee United. You're going to yourself, why are you putting a guy there who can, the only player on our team who can effectively take out their fullback by taking them on and whipping the ball into the box? It's almost like 
Lenny still has a grip in this team with this diamond formation, and, and it feels like he's ringing him before the nights of the game. But who, who should it play here? What's the, what should the subs be? I mean, leaving it to the 80th minute to bring on Sorrow and players like that, it's like, well, what are they going to do? And you bring on Rodgers in the last 10 minutes. He's, he's effectively as good as a 10th man when he's in that position. I mean, Laura, what's your overwhel- overwhelming uh, feeling towards the, the playing staff at Celtic and the players? Yeah, I, I totally agree about the substitutions. I think it's not really any of the fault of the players who came onto the pitch that they didn't have the impact that you would have wanted them to have because they really didn't have the time. Um, and that is a very Lennon thing to me that we wait and wait and wait for substitutions and very often don't make them until there's too little time to have an impact. But as far as the players are concerned, I just look around that pitch. Somebody, uh, I know we'll come on to talk about Scott Brown a bit later on, but somebody was talking to me about him and the possibility of him leaving. And um, we were talking about, you know, who could the captain be going forward? And I thought to myself, well, ideally you'd say Christopher Iyer, but chances are he'll be leaving in the summer. Apart from that, the only ones in terms of longevity and service that you would say deserve it are either McGregor or Forrest, but neither of them particularly strike strike me as having the personality for it. And then beyond them, I can't think of anybody that I would say would be a captain material, and that just signifies like what the attitude of the playing staff is. It's very lethargic, it's very kind of... Um, they don't seem particularly bothered if they win or lose. Whereas if you look back at the Martin O'Neill team, even at the Brendan Rodgers team, you know, I could name, you had, this sounds like a cliche, but the Martin O'Neill team especially, you had 11 captains on the pitch. Any of those players would have been a captain at any other club. And many of them did go on to be like, Stelian Petrov uh, wasn't really a Celtic captain because we had Lambert and we had Lennon, but he went on to be a captain at Aston Villa. Um, Mialbi definitely had the makings of a captain, Valharan, Baldi, um, you know, that you could name all those. Who in this team has the attitude of a captain or the leadership qualities of a captain? I, I couldn't name one. Well, I mean, it's a, a fantastic point. It's like you look around, you look around at the squad now, and especially at starting 11, Ryan Christie believes his own hype, his head's massive, as Anthony rightly said, that he was just totally non existent in, in the Glasgow Derby game. And you, there's players there that really d- just don't care about the whole the, the significance of playing with Celtic. I mean, you look at John Joe Kennedy, uh, Kennedy, John Joe Kennedy. I don't know what he was playing at, doing a 50-yard back pass to put us under pressure. And he's played in English Premier League, and you're just laughing to yourself. These players couldn't give two, two flares, so to speak. And Anthony, I'll give the, the final word to you. And I'm, Laura, I'm glad you brought up Martin O'Leary zero because... Anthony done a show last night, which will be aired tomorrow in regards to the best 11 of both decades. So that'll be one to be looking forward to in this channel. But Anthony, what, what's your overwhelming uh, feeling towards the players? Uh, I'm very frustrated with them. I've used that term quite a few times so far tonight. But I think it's there, there is a lot of other factors that you, you've got to take into play um, when you're thinking of this season as a whole. But... I think a lot of the, those players really do have to to take a look at themselves. I think there, there's a very woe is me attitude at Celtic now. It's sort of a hard luck story. Even when John Kennedy was talking after the game, it seems to be, oh, you know, we could have won, but things didn't go. It, 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 we're almost accepting of um, 
not having the rubby the green at the moment. And that's not what big teams do. That's not what winners do. Winners dig you out of that, um, out, out of the sticky spots. They find a way to win rather than find a way to drop points against a team who were playing only three days before. Um, it, it, you would have to say that, yeah, maybe a lot of the fact that a lot of them aren't there on, on permanent deals or, you know, maybe coming at the end of their, their time there, that maybe the fire has just went out or what perhaps wasn't there in the first place. But there's just, um, it just feels like everyone just needs a right good shake. And um, I think next season, um, God willing, if we're, if we're allowed back um, in some sort of capacity, um, I, I don't think there'll be, there'll be a lot of supporters uh, won't miss them. Yeah, I mean, if we're ready to believe the latest rumours that Roy Keane seems to be a shoe in for the manager position, I just don't, I just don't want that <laughs> happening. I, I can't, it can't happen. For me, Celtic need an aspiring coach who can play attacking football. And I'm not saying the likes of Maresca is an aspiring coach, but I've made it pretty clear I don't think that's going to excite fans. But we need, we need a coach of experience, experience of the big leagues in Europe. And I'm pretty sure that's not out of the range of Celtic. And I'm fed up with people saying they won't come. Ask the question, you might, you'll never know. But yeah, I just want to touch upon the referee, the refereeing performance on the, the Glasgow Derby on Sunday. Obviously, I'm not saying that this contributes to Celtic's performance or anything at all, but I mean, I thought you, Laura, some of Willie Callum's decisions were quite baffling, to say the least. Um, yeah, I mean, the obvious ones, obviously, the potential penalty for for Edward, and and I would say that on balance, although it was not what I would call a stonewaller or anything like that, it was probably a penalty, certainly. You know, certainly, I think they would have been shouting for it at the other end if it if it had been them. So, um, that was the glaring one. Um, I I don't rate him as a referee. I really don't. But I think there's a danger in this type of situation to use his incompetence as an excuse for, uh, you know, our own failings and the fact that yeah. if you're relying on referees' decisions to to get you through a game against what we've already sort of agreed as a pretty average Rangers side, then you're you're kind of grasping at straws. But but yeah, I do agree. He wasn't fantastic. He's never been a particularly good referee, um, and I would have thought that that was a penalty. But apart from that, I'm just more frustrated at the team than I am at anybody else at the moment. Yeah, no, you're hundred percent correct. The, the reason I wanted to speak about Willie Callum, it does felt to me that. Every time Celtic went for a ball, I heard the whistle more times than I heard the ball being kicked at some <laughs> points in that game. And you're, I did you're going see, to yourself. I did see one oh. um, thing on Twitter, and I, I can't even remember seeing it during the game, to be honest, but it was a foul on Barisic when he was um, trying to clear the ball. And basically all that happened was he brushed up against... God, I can't even remember who it was, but it was it was, it was one of Christy. our attacking players. Christy, that's who it was. And he kind of just, he jumped out the way, Christy went through and then Barisic fell over. But there wasn't really even what I would call contact or anything and Willie Collum just blew the whistle and you were just a little bit like, well, what, yeah, what's that? that that's, that's exactly the reason why I want to bring up. Some of the, some of the decisions were just questionable. And, uh, for me, it was a penalty. And there's a lot of people saying that he's dived out of the way. But at the end of the day, if someone's going in out of control like that, you, ha- you have to get out of the way of the tackle. And the tackle yeah. itself should have warranted a decision. And before we move on, I just want to hear your thoughts, Anthony. Did you think that was a penalty on Edward? 
Um, well, obviously, in, in real time, you're absolutely screaming for it. Um, the, the the replay did show that, yeah, it, it's more, what's the term that they sort of use? He's anticipated the contact before it, um, yeah. it's actually arrived. I mean, it's a, it's a terrible lunge uh, by Barisic. Um, latterly, during the day, my frustration was more, you know, why didn't he shoot first, you know, take take it first time before the tackle comes in. Now, obviously, just trying to make a little bit extra room for himself. Um, on, on on the wider, you know, incompetence comes as a standard for Willie Collum. You know, I think he's he's off the dial. He was sort of trained by Hugh Dallas. He's got that sort of, and he's, you know, he, he's a primary school or a secondary school teacher by trade. He does have that, I'm the teacher you will listen to what I tell you sort of attitude. He, he doesn't really build a relationship with, with the players on the pitch. Every club will have their, their stories about Willie Collum. It, it, what frustrated me most on Sunday, like Laura says, it, it didn't have one of those games where it was like breathtakingly bad. But what frustrated me about it, it was, like you say, not even big 50-50 challenges. It was, was the, you just got a powder puff shoulder challenges. Not even always going against us, by the way. There was one or two that you were like, oh, come on, just go on with the game. Um, mm-hmm. he, he seemed very much determined to make himself the centre of attention, as he, as he usually does in these games. And um, I just thought, you know, just just let the play flow. Um, stop, you know, blowing the whistle every time two guys come together. Um, he seemed, you know, hell-bent on trying to make it a non-contact uh, game. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the big tackles and the you know the, the you know the big incidents are, are, are the coming togethers are I know there's no crowd in in, in the stadium and but you, you kind of live for that in in the derby games um, but he's just he he, he micromanages games um, to the detriment of the the actual match as a spectacle um, I've I've got no time for him I don't really have any time for for most of them to be honest I think they're all you know <laughs> I don't think any of them um, make the grade for me but Colum is. Yeah, I would probably say he is the best, um, or the or the worst of a bad bunch. <laughs> that being the best was a very low standard, then, isn't it? But I, th- I think you um, summed that up well. We'll move on to the, the the subject that we all want to talk about, and that's Scott Brown. And it's something that I seen just before I went to bed last night. But I wanted to see what it, what way it would be left this morning. And it seems that it's nailed on that he's going to be joining Stephen Glass as Aberdeen assistant coach. Uh, he got confirmed today around about lunchtime in Aberdeen, and I think it's just waiting on the, the final decision from Scott Brown himself. And Laura, I want to throw it to you first. Obviously, we know it's, I mean, a lot of people can't really imagine a team without Scott Brown. Me, myself personally, that he's been in the team 14 years or however many years it may be, and he's won nine league titles in a row, quadruple winning travel captain. And yes, he's been a big part of the team, but. I think me and you are very much in the same wavelength. Maybe I would just want to hear your opinion before I give mine. What, 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 where do you see Scott Brown's future at Celtic? And if he did have one, what would that be? And do you agree with him wanting to move on? Uh, well, the first thing I want to say is, to anybody listening to this, I'm a guest on this podcast, so please separate my opinions from from the regular contributors and don't unsubscribe for anything I'm about to say. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> I am... Um, I've never been a particularly big Scott Brown fan. I don't think... I think he has attributes that make him a, a decent leader, a decent captain. Um, but so often in the past, I've been very frustrated with him. I don't think he's a particularly good passer of the ball. I don't think he's got a very good first touch. Very often he ends up lunging into challenges off the back of a bad first touch and and 
that's as much of a problem that's led to him having the bookings that he's had as as his temper has in the past. Um, he's brought me some of the most frustrating moments of my Celtic uh, support in life because I, I feel like we can never fully trust him, even at the age that he's at, to to keep his head and keep his discipline. Every time you think he's grown up, uh, he, he just lets you down again. Um, having said all that, you know, I don't want to take away from the fact that he's a guy who's played for us for, like you say, over a decade. He's probably up there in terms of appearances with any of the great players that we've had, and so that can't be ignored. But, um, but I won't. I've, I'm one person that wouldn't be sad to see him go. I think. I think we need a break from Scott Brown. I think Scott Brown probably needs a break from us. He needs to spread his wings and see how things work at another club. Um, and I made a I made a comment on Twitter tonight, and this is one of the frustrating things about trying to tweet what you're thinking because you can't always articulate it properly. But I was talking about the kind of inconsistency amongst the support of their attitude about whether we should keep him and whether we should keep John Kennedy. Now I'm not comparing both of their impacts or how how effective they've been in bringing success to the club. But my point was. You have people on the one hand saying Scott Brown needs to stay because we need consistency and we need somebody to bridge the gap between the old phase and the new. And then the very same people are saying, oh, we need to get rid of John Kennedy because, you know, he signifies too much of what's wrong with what's been going on the last few years. Now, I'm not a particularly big fan of either of them, but I just don't understand how you can hold one position for one and one position for another. To me, if the problem is that there are ongoing issues with the team and with the club, then how can you say that the captain of the club needs to stay while a guy who, let's face it, is probably going to be no higher than a first-team coach at the club going forward? He needs to go. You know, it's like an inconsistency there that I don't get, but I, I appreciate that, you know, any any way in which you slag off Scott Brown or, or not even slag him off but any way in which you point out his deficiencies and, and, and aren't you know a kind of flag waving number one supporter of him you, you kind of get a hard time oh, I mean ladies and gentlemen that's end of our podcast no more joking uh, no, I, 100%, 100% 100% I get, get what you're doing Nora and I, I totally agree with what you're saying in terms of Maybe it's time that Brown takes a break from us and we take a break from him because he's been there over a decade, as you said. And I'm actually quite interested in the comparison in terms of John Kenley. And I know you're not comparing the two in terms of players and stuff like that, but John Kenley's been there for years and so has Brown. And maybe it's just the end of that cycle and it's time to let go. And I 100% get what you mean in terms of his player attributes and what he offers the team. I, For me, I love Scott Brown in terms of what, he, what he's done for Celtic and the way the, the way he's um tapping on the pitch and leader off the pitch as well, bringing players together, especially in I think it was Neil Lennon's first spell, Brendan Rogers as well when he when he fully came back to himself and he, he was that link between all all the foreign players to the club and he was the link to the supporters as well. And I, I get what you mean in terms of how he plays. He he gives away balls and he, his tackle his first touch almost leads to tackle so to speak. And but for me that's just Scott Brown and the way he used to get in the boat people and celebrate tackles and. That's what we miss. A modern-day player for me doesn't have that. Now, the, what I said last night and this morning on Twitter, if he goes, he goes with my best wishes. I'm not begging for him to stay. Personally, 
I don't really see Scott Brown being so much involved in Celtic next season in terms of playing. Maybe it would have been a coach the, the way he's going to maybe be at Aberdeen. And I think naturally that was coming to an end. You kind of see, see his influence go uh, before December time and sorrow come in, but he's been dropped again for next to no reason. Um, Anthony, what's your opinion on, on the Scott Brown uh, thing, him leaving, going to Aberdeen or staying with Celtic? What would you like to see? Um, I'm actually p- perhaps slightly in the minority um, as well. With, rega- with regards to the, the absolutely tremendous point that Laura brought up there regarding the, the inconsistency um, among some of the support regarding the, the Kennedy and Brown, the sort of the way that each one is, is viewed. Um, it's ab- it's an absolutely fantastic point, I must admit. Um, I have to say, um, I actually am of the opinion that he should go as well this season. Um Terrific servant to the club. You can't, you know, he's in the PFA Team of the Year six times. He's won ten league championships, six Scottish Cups, six League Cups. You, you know, if the argument is ever put your medals on the table, then, you know, he's going to need a big table. But I, I do understand a lot of what Laura's saying. Um, I think Scott, you know, when he first came to the club, um, he was obviously brought um, by Gordon Strang. He still had that, that you know, the sort of driving run. Um, still had the legs to, to do that kind of role at the, at the time and you know I think as he matured I think Brendan definitely got the best out of him and, he, and he's sort of two full seasons at the club obviously won the, the play of the year uh, the year we won the double treble um, so that just sort of shows that with the, with the right coach he definitely that brought out the, the best in him um, but I do think one of my biggest worries, but and again, we always go back to it, that's maybe one of the reasons why um, Brendan did depart in the manner that he did. He could see that Scott was coming to the end of his career and that it was a habit that we needed to break from. And John McGinn was the perfect um, sort of replacement long-term uh, for him. But, you know, that's for another show. But I just think... When, when Neil Lennon came back and he uttered the phrase, I want to build uh, the team now around Scott Brown, I thought, are you having a laugh? You, you know, Scott, for all his um, service to the club, is, you know, he's, he's mid-30s now um, and he can't keep going on forever. Um, I'm not overly convinced by Sorrow, I must admit. I mean, he had a, a good couple of games when he first came in. Um, I know he sort of came in and out of the team again, so it's maybe unfair, but uh, he's David Turnbull certainly filling me with more sort of I can see more coming from him than I can from Sorrow at the minute. Um, I know that, that a lot of people are sort of saying that Sorrow's the long-term replacement for Brown. I'm not so sure, um, but I actually do think that a break from Scott would would actually be good for all parties because if you even imagine um, the new manager coming in with that kind of call to make straight away. Um, you know, we've got the, this long-term servant, been there for so long, won so many trophies, um, has been such an influence and a presence around the club, and you're left with a decision like that straight away that's going to, it could alienate the dressing room, could alienate a lot of the, the supporters. Like Laura says, there is still a lot of supporters that think he should be, you know, first name on the team sheet. Um, I think Scott actually taking that decision away from a manager, um, going getting some coaching experience um, up at Aberdeen um, would do him good. And I think it would... It, it, listen, the fact that he's actually not sure of what's happening just now because as a, as a club offering them the deal, it, it, you know, it reeks a lot of the um, 
the same way that, that happened when Mikael Lustig left, just the, the, the sort of amateur way in which it was handled. No matter what he was planning, the, the club were planning on doing this year, Scott Brown's contract should really have been sort of sorted out. One, His future should have been sorted out one way or the other. But I actually am of the opinion, I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, a, a big fan of all he's done. He's, he's the kind of personality that I think that if I had had any footballing ability, I possibly would have been like that. Um, on the pitch, you know, that sort of, you know, the, the wisecracker in the player's ear and, and stuff like that. You know, it's not for everybody, but um, yeah, Derby Day and stuff, I must admit, I do I do like to see it sometimes. But I just think he's, I think it's come to a natural end. And I think next season, if we're getting a director of football in, a new manager, potentially a, a, a big change in some of the coaching setup as well. I think maybe now is the best time for a, a, a fresh start. Um, he, he goes absolutely with my best wishes and he would always be welcome back. Um, but yeah, I actually think um, Scott going away for a, for a, you know, taking a break from Celtic um, would be a good idea. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, think, I think actually we're all agreeing, which is pretty, pretty on news on this podcast. <laughs> we're, we're, we're all in majority here and obviously we've got different op- opinions on his playing career. The way I look at it is, it's a natural end to a very long cycle. He's been there through the ups, through the downs, through the most exciting times in the last decade. decade. He's been front and centre leading the team onto that pitch and European games. He's given some fantastic memories as well. The way I think of Scott Brown is he's just, for me, this season, especially watching him now, he just seems to be kind of just trudging along, so to speak. I know he's had a few good games. Yes, I know there's Celtic fans will point that out very quickly to myself, but there's just games you, you just fight towards the end that he's just losing his legs and the, the pace has got is gone from him. We've seen that in European competition as well and some Glasgow Derby games, so to speak. But he's a legend. His, his, his status as Celtic will never be questioned. And as Anthony said, he'll be always he'll be always welcome back at Celtic Park. Who knows? Maybe a statue for him of the stuff he's done. But I'll go, I'll, I want to go to you, Laura. I'm interested to hear your opinion on this. So if we're potentially using Scott Brown and a whole host of first-team players, do you think next season will be capable of challenging for the title? Um, I think based on based on what I was saying before, I, I think Scott Brown staying wouldn't offer us anything extra on the pitch that would make us more likely to win the title next season. So from that point of view, losing him isn't going to be isn't going to make a huge difference to our title uh, challenge, I don't think. Um, I it's funny that we're sitting here discussing things as they are because, like, unlike Anthony, I'm much bigger fan of Sorrow, and I think he could, you know, if if, he's, if there wasn't Scott Brown there and all the baggage that comes with him making a decision of whether to play him or not, I think if Sorrow was given a run in the team and able to build experience, I think he would be a more than adequate replacement, and and we could build a, a midfield around him and Turnbull. I think that would. That would really excite me going forward, if I'm completely honest. And I think it's certainly a strong enough base off which to suggest that we could maybe, you know, with a few extra signings and a few changes, which are going to be enforced because of the number of loan signings that we have, uh, I don't see a reason why we can't mount a challenge next season. For that reason, and also for the reason that I don't see Rangers playing quite as well next season as they have this one. Yeah, I mean... I'm going to sit in the fence a wee bit in terms of what you said, Laura. I can see, for me, I'm a, I'm a big advocate for change. I want to see that change. I want to see 
new players coming in because there's been a lot of players in Celtic over the years who've just kind of got comfortable and that shouldn't be happening at Celtic Football Club. They should be made to, to work for their wages, so to speak. There's just a lot of players coasting at the minute. For me, I think the less Griffiths, that's a touchy subject still with Celtic support. I just think that's that's come to an end for me. Yes, he's been fatal over the years there with goals, but just the last few years, he's not been available for selection and not been much fit. Obviously, for different reasons, but laterally towards now, it just seems to be a fitness issue with Lee Griffiths. And you look at legs of near Beaton, he's been there nearly seven years. And it's time for these players to go and find a new club for me. And I appreciate what, what they're doing. But I'll, I'll sit in the fence with you, Ben Anthony, here. Is the rebuild going to be too big, especially if we don't get this this management structure correct? I think we'll, it'll definitely, of course, um, be a challenge. But I do actually think it's a challenge that we're more than capable of rising to. As disappointing and well not disappointing as, as awful as um this season has been the foundations at Celtic are still strong we might uh, you know agree or disagree but some of the personnel and and some of the the positions that they hold but the club itself is still strong far stronger than across the Clyde and it's so it very much rem reminds me of the around the time when um we lost the semi-final um just under Ronnie um, the Scottish Cup semi-final at Hamden on penalties. It, it was almost like a, a bit of a sense of calm after it because I did sort of feel like, right, okay, well, it's it's embarrassing. You've lost the, the, the shootout. Um, you know, R Ronnie then decided, you know, announced he was going to be leaving at the end of the season. But when you actually looked at the at the squad and at the the, the setup of the club, you still think it just needs it just needs somebody to to sort of get that that fire back. Obviously, Brendan took it to unimaginable levels I mean not even in our wildest dreams could we have imagined what, what was about to come but like Laura I don't see Rangers um, being as anywhere near as consistent as they've been this year I don't think they're, they're like we've spoke on uh, earlier I don't think they're a great team they have been consistent and you got to give them credit for that but I don't see that lasting and I think hopefully even it would be fantastic if we could get a near uh, sort of capacity crowd back, I don't think that will happen for a while, but I just think the reintroduction of supporters, a new manager, whoever that may be, will, can sort of get the place rolling again, shake the place up a bit, because we've got to remember, now with the, the standings being the way they are, the winner of the league next season goes straight into the Champions League group stages. There's an argument to be made that the title next year is even more important than one in ten in a row. That's how big next season is going to be as much as we've had a lot of setbacks this year, you know we're, we've been we're in we're in a storm at the minute. But I think it'll pass, and I think when we get through the other side, I think we'll, you know we'll still be still be standing. And uh, yeah, bring on the summer. How many different uh, song uh, titles was that in one sentence? <laughs> <laughs> Going through my greatest hits. <laughs> It was like quote unquote unquote, wasn't it? There's all these <laughs> different things coming through at the one time. But I, I think I might be getting sued for a lot of plagiarism there. After <laughs> <laughs> I want to come back to yourself, okay? I, I, this is going to be about controversial. Just give me as best as you can. But you say there that you think we're stronger than across the Clyde, and we all do, yes, granted. But can you answer me this? Then, if we're so strong, why do we let this season die out the way it's done? Why don't we not make a managerial change before Christmas? Why are we still sitting on our hands and doing nothing about the, the management structure? Granted, we'll move on to what Desmond came out and said today, but again, it was absolutely nothing. And what gives you the confidence that this board has the best interests of Celtic Football Club? Well, you know, if I had the, 
definitive answers to all those questions, uh, Stephen. I'd maybe be a, a far richer man than I am. I, um, like, like I was saying, as I say, I think that the foundations of the club are, are, are strong in terms of how it's set up. What I do think, and this is where you know you and me will agree, where, where the, the problem lies is, though, is there are people in the positions that have been in there for far too long and it's became stale and it's became stagnant. And we have not only in this time, but you go back uh, several points, uh, particularly throughout the, the Lawwell years, where we've failed to build on a position of strength. Um, again, I'm going to dive into the book of cliches again. There's there's a lot of analogue men at Celtic in a digital age. And that's part of the problem. As I say, I, I said that on the first show uh, when I came on. I don't know enough about Scottish rugby or the, or the changes in it to know exactly what Dominic Mackay, you know, technically is going to bring to the table. But you can it, the, the results of the improvements in the SRU throughout his time there are, are clear for all to see. You know, Scotland are actually quite a decent rugby side now. So that's where I think that that's where I get the confidence from. It's not that. Um, the, the, the actual way that the club is set up that's wrong. It's the people in the positions um, that have just been there for, for too long. Um, we've There's always sort of been a a reluctance to really reach for the, the next level. Um, and I'm hoping, and, and I was only hope at the minute because you, you, you don't know, but um, I, I, I'm confident that with the right people we, we, that we can sort of get our title back. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I just wanted to fire that back to you to see what you said. You, you handled it pretty well, honestly, so far, plenty yourself. But the way the way I look at it, I don't know about you, Laura. Dominic Mackay is coming in. If you strip it back, though, it's still going to be the same board members and owner behind him. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't really fill me with confidence. I, I know that they're talking about bringing a director of football and a manager, and then there's this rebuild looming over something Park, but it's just taken too long. What is the hold up? What do you think it is, Laura? What is holding Sally back here from just announcing what is actually happening instead of giving us quotes of nothing? I mean, certainly the, the interview with Dermot Desmond didn't put us in any, any stronger light as to what's going on and what the hold-up is. Um, I think to talk about a little bit about what Dominic Mackay's strengths might be coming into the role is he's obviously got a background in PR and communications, which we've not been great at this season so I would expect that to improve from next season a little bit better fan engagement and a little bit more engagement with the fans in general which uh, I would look forward to what does concern me is the the player recruitment and, and that side of things because I don't see him being able to offer much in, in that way and that's why I hope a director of football is the route that we go down and, and that whoever the person is that's appointed to that role um, does it effectively um, as far as it taking as long as it's taken I really don't understand because Aberdeen have moved fast in, in a similar situation, they sacked their manager after we sacked ours and they've got a new appointment of a kind of young ambitious guy uh, who they have faith in um, before we've even got our appointment and I think what to go back to the communication point, I think what the frustrating thing about it is, is nobody's saying that we need to rush into the decision in any way, um, apart from the fact that obviously it's less than 100 days to the Champions League qualifiers. But if they'd even come out and said, uh, 
and communicated with us, we keep going on about communication, but if they'd communicated with us at the point that Neil Lennon left and even added John Kennedy will be in charge until the end of the season, that, that stops all this speculation, it stops all these questions, um, it makes it look as though they've actually got a plan of, right, we're going to use the time between now and the end of the season to make a decision. Instead, what we're, we're left with is fans question when the appointment's going to be, a, a caretaker manager who doesn't know how long he's in the role and no apparent sort of ethos or um, sort of style of manager that we appear to be going for or certainly not the one that's been communicated clearly anyway. Yeah, it's 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 mind-boggling, I'm Laura. And touching upon Dominic McKay and his communication side of things, and remember that tweet a few weeks back in terms of one club wearing up half of anything and a lot of silly fans jumped on that. I have visions of Dominic McKay jumping out of his car on his way back to the rugby stadium, just going into Celtic Park to tweet that, just to get some fans on board. Because we've heard nothing. We've, we've, heard, we've heard nothing, like, we've heard nothing back from that, and there's nothing but backed up. And I know we've seen the weekend there that um, Glasgow Derby reunited, and that, that's fair play, fair enough. I mean, we all stand against racism and stuff, but you tweet out a tweet like that, and then there's no follow-up, and it's just left there. It's like someone's just went in, went a wee bit rogue, and just typed it and went, I'm sacked anyway, so just type this and then it just walked off. And then it just... The thing that made me kind of uncomfortable about it was that hashtag one club since 1888. We all know what the, the implication is behind that. Um, and yeah. that was the first time I'd seen them them tweet that hashtag. The next time I saw them tweet it was uh, the show the racism, the red card thing that Scott Brown was on. Now, I get the... I'm fully in support of, of Glenn Kamara and, and, you know, admonishing anybody who's got anything other than to say that racism is wrong. But it, it did sit a bit uncomfortably with me that... <laughs> In that tweet showing him support and showing support for anti-racism movements, we put hashtag one club since 1888. It was almost as if we were still trying to get a re-dig in on the, on the bottom of, you know, what should yeah. be a, an issue that goes beyond football. And I just think hopefully Dominic Mackay can, can come in and sort of rid us of all this kind of petty social media point scoring and, and make us a bit classier as an institution, but I don't know if that's what's going to happen or not. Well, the burning issue for me, before, before we move on to the Desmond statement, well, not statement, more of the question and answer session, propaganda again, but before we move on, the, the, burning, the burning thing for me is we need to modernise the whole structure of the club. As Anthony rightly said, there, there's people there now who've just stagnated and went stale. They turn up at work, do the same thing day in and day out. There's no bright ideas, there's no communication with the supporters and still right now we're, we're scratching our heads and Laura as you rightly said Aberdeen they've appointed Stephen Glass and people may say it's because of uh, Dave McCormick the Aberdeen chairman's connection to Atlanta, Atlanta United and the MLS but it's not if you look at his manager record he, he's managed with them and their first team and he's been underneath some good coaches over there and developed some players and it sadly does seem to be just sitting on, on their hands and not doing anything it's it's almost like to me that they want John Kennedy to put some performance out of his arse and give him the job and be like, yes, he can do it. And I just really hope that's not the rule broken down. But just touching upon the statement that was released today on the Celtic website, obviously it was a question and answer thing with Dermot Desmond, which again is the questions made by him and he's answered just just off the, off the whim, so to speak. But yeah, I'll read out a few points. So he got asked the question, when can we expect the appointment of a manager? And he goes on to say, 
As a, with any key appointment, Celtic, there is a process which involves research, investigation, interviewing, interviewing and negotiation. But again, that contradicts the whole thing of giving the land the job in the showers. And just touching upon the first the first point I made there, Anthony, in regards to the statement, where do you sit with it? Um, well, if, if if he claims to that the club do that much due diligence um, with regards to an appointment, well, it, it flies in the face of the absolute amateur way that we went around um, giving Neil the job permanently a second time. Um, Peter Lawwell, out of his own mouth, admitted that they did receive a stack of applicants for the job, high-profile ones, and he didn't. Uh, he, he, and his words were he stuffed them all in the drawer and we kept our promise to Neil which, which almost suggests that it didn't even really matter what happened in the cup final uh, that day he was getting offered the job anyway which is, if nothing else a complete dereliction of his duties um, Desmond, you know he's, he's popped his head up today, the absent landlord, um, that's twice this season He's uh, gave uh, an, an interview, one to the, the in-house channel the day, and obviously he'd done that one with the, the Athletic back at the start of the season. I actually think that's probably where I started worrying about how this season was going to go, because when I seen that, I thought, oh God, you know, the, the Athletic's not the most established um, media uh, outlet, but you know, but it is growing. I thought maybe this is something, you know, he's trying to go, you know, move with the times as well. And when I read that article, it was instead of getting a vision for the future of Celtic, it was an absolute mealy mouth nonsense going on about how he tried to coax Sir Alex away from Old Trafford to to stop the the ten and ninety seven ninety eight and you know all and you know Premier League pipe dreams and all that uh, nonsense that he, you know he floats about every five years. Um, and today, you know, to be honest, Stephen, he, he seemed to be more interested in slagging Brian Dempsey. Than, than he did about yeah. actually addressing any of the concerns, uh, the, the the real concerns that the fans have about just how just how the, like the, the lack of communication uh, <coughs> that they're, they're having with the supporters. Laura summed it up perfectly, and um, the one I can't remember who it was the night that was on with uh, with Ross a couple of weeks ago said the exact same thing. Um, that there was there was nothing you didn't have to actually say, didn't have to name a name at any point, but there was absolutely nothing wrong with. When Neil left, giving you giving us a, a timetable almost of what the plans were, um, and like you say, if you say John will be there to the end of the season, and that's that, it would have put at least some of the the the, the Chinese whispers to bed. But it's just, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, every time um, Dermot Desmond speaks, uh, you know, my, my, my head's in my hands because it's, um, yeah, communication is not his strong point. Yeah, I mean, what what frightens me the most over the last couple of years, and even go back to when Neil Lennon was first in charge, and even further back, but further back than that, it Celtic just seem to be sometimes like a like an old friends act. It's like if almost if you have a, a connection with Celtic, you're you're guaranteed an interview and a job. Just come in. Doesn't matter if you've been at work for twenty years. You've got the, the Irish connection, so to speak. Your friends at Desmond. Yeah, just take the team forward, and if you fail, you fail. But one thing that sticks in mind, I mind here, Laura. It says who's in charge of the process of getting a new manager. And he said, goes on to say, the chairman and bank here, Peter Law and myself take a lead of the process. And naturally, the incoming CEO will also participate. And any uh, incoming decision will have, will have to be required by board lab approval. Now, where do you start with Peter Law being involved with this? And we've seen um, Declan McConville uh, pointed out to me that Peter Law's son works with, in the Manchester City setup. And we've seen the Fergal Harkin legs and Moresca legs. Is this just him asking favours of different people in the football world? 
I think that certainly goes some way to explaining the the kind of link, the ongoing link that there seems to be between Celtic and Man City when you look at the players that we've recruited over the last few years and the way that the appointments look like they're going for, you know, Fergal Harkin looking like he's in position for a director of football, whether it's going to be Maresca coming in as head coach in some way or whether it's other people um, remains to be seen. But that certainly explains the Man City link. I have to say I was a bit disappointed to see his name specifically mentioned. I, I think as the outgoing CEO for 17 years or whatever, it would be naive to say that he wasn't going to be involved in some sense. But even the way that Dermot Desmond said it will be myself, Ian Bankier, the board, Peter Lowell and the incoming new CEO, he didn't mention Dominic Mackay by name until later on in the interview. And I just thought, well, is, is he taking a a forward role because to me the sense would be okay you have to have the current CEO and, and Peter Lowell involved in some sense but surely it makes sense to get Dominic Mackay really properly heavily involved in the appointment because he's the person that's going to be having to work with with this new director of football, new head coach, new manager, whatever term you want to put on it so I would have thought he had to be involved a lot more heavily to make sure that there's a working relationship there that can work going forward that isn't going to crumble within weeks of him coming in at the end of June Yeah, um, I think personally Peter Law for me yes he's many people say he's been in charge of uh, fantastic success and kept the finances in check but when he starts getting involved in football matters it tends to end in disaster and the way I look at this Fergal Harkin link, Laura, as you rightly said, it just it just smacks of, again, the whole friends act. And I don't want to become a Manchester City feeder club. I, I really no. don't. I keep, I keep saying it in the podcast. Celtic Football Club are a, a club of their own right with a worldwide fan base and be pushed to say probably bigger Manchester City's fan base just merely because of history. Obviously, City's come onto the scene now because of money and wealth. But we've we've made our history, we've put ourselves in European football, we won the European Cup and we can't be anyone's you know, reserve team or Manchester City players under 23 coming up here and just for a season here, a season there and leaving again uh, what's your opinion on it Anthony in terms of the Fergal, Harkin links and Peter Doll as some working at Manchester City Yeah well, I mean I, I, I can't claim to have any you know sort of in-depth knowledge of, of, of Harkin's uh, you know you know, history or a role at the club. Um, I, I must admit, given Peter's attempts at uh, doing the de facto director of football role, I think Fergal Sharkey would be an improvement uh, on on him, <laughs> uh, let alone Fergal Harkin. But um, just to go back into my greatest hits again, <laughs> but uh, I think you know, I, I understand the the sort of you, you know not not being too too eager to get too cosy with Manchester City. You know, it's a uh, it does sort of rub us a lot of us up the wrong way, you know. Just the way that, you know, that the sad reality is the geography of the situation is that we we will always not will no longer be able to to sort of shop in the in the in the same places that the, the, these clubs do. I mean, we were going talking about the O'Neill team twenty years ago. You know, Martin came from Leicester to Celtic. You know, but before the the, the two massive TV deals down south out with maybe the top four in England, Celtic and Rangers, um, you know, were, were more than capable of, uh, you know, offering the same, you know, sort of packages, uh, et cetera, that, that a lot of clubs in England could do. That's just, it's just non-existent now. We, we sadly operate in different ponds. I, 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 
I genuinely don't really mind where, where they do come from. Um, if if you are the if you've got the credentials to do the job, um, it doesn't really matter to me too much um, where they come from. I mean, for all we for all we don't particular a lot of us I would class as all probably as you know the, the football purists. You know, we love the the sort of traditional ways and how clubs uh, earn their success. It's just a sign of the tip. Manchester City are just um, a, a product of of the of the of the current times. Um, and whilst we might not particularly agree with the way they go about things, I don't think anyone would say that the the people in their positions that they had um, aren't qualified to to hold the positions that they do. So he will would bring with him um, a lot of experience um, and a lot of contacts as well. I would imagine. Um, as I say. Um, um, David Webb kind of shone a light more on the director of football role when he gave us that interview a couple of weeks ago. It's not something that's really widely uh, spoke about v- very often, um, and I think that's what leaves a lot of fans sort of frustrated that they, you know these titles get handed out and they, they don't really explain which what, what the the remit of each role is. But if that's the the way they need to go down, then or the the way they feel that the, the club would move forward. If he could work with uh, with Dominic, then yeah, it, it could it could work. Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent get what you're saying in terms of like it could bring some some experience with him uh, to the Celtic Football Club. But I stand by my point, and I, I just think Celtic shouldn't be shoehorned into going down these to these routes in terms of Harkin and Mareska. I, I think personally, there's far better candidates out there for the job, and. I just don't understand why Celtic does seem to be so reluctant to ask the question. And as Anthony Haggerty always says yeah, on the Celtic State point. of Mind, Lord, as Celtic always says, as Anthony always says on the Celtic State of Mind, Lord, you, you know him yourself personally. But ask the question. There's no harm. See if these people are interested in coming to Celtic Football Club. We're a big institution in world football. But just I want to touch upon one last point because we could be here all night with, with the Desmond uh, Q and A that he gave today. But there was a question that said, "Could you give us some idea of the type of candidate you're looking for?" And he says, we are mindful of the fact that there is a huge amount of interest and speculation among our supporters and the press. However, we have to respect the privacy of potential candidates and the integrity of the process. And so I think it would be inappropriate to make a comment on the type of candidate that we are looking for. Now, again, he's not even given us the, the, the thing of what type of profile they want of a manager. Is he an experienced manager? Is he a youthful coach? Is it an attacking football he's wanting? He's not given us that profile. It's just there's no transparency whatsoever. Is is that what you you're taking from this as well, Laura? Yeah, I mean, we you don't need to have any kind of media training to know the kind of thing he could have said without giving away anything about the privacy of the the candidate that they're looking at. You know, if you if you say something along the lines of we're looking for somebody with international pedigree who's an experienced manager and provides us with the brand of football that Celtic are famous for. There, I've just come up with an answer that would satisfy a lot of Celtic supporters without giving away any information about who the manager might go on to be. But to say you can't give an answer about anything to do with the type of candidate you're looking for is... it strikes me almost as a bit disingenuous because it's not about the privacy of of the candidate concerned. It's more about saying, no, you'll be you'll sit in your place and you'll be told when I think you need to be told and that's not right now. And it's just another instance of the kind of 
arrogant way in which the club's been run this season that that has been a side of the club that actually has come to the fore in the last couple of years that I wasn't always so aware of and, and is not something that I'm particularly um, fond of now that it's kind of reared its head. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like the they're treating us fans as if we don't deserve any information. We don't deserve clarity on on what on what's happening in the future. And you look at Aberdeen, not bring it back to Aberdeen again, but they've took the lead here. And what what a media team should actually do? The club in house media, Dave McCormick released a Twitter statement, a Twitter video actually, explaining and outlaying the, the whole process of what's going to happen. And not not more than a week later, they've got the manager that they wanted. Anthony, I'll give you the final word on what I previously said there in regards to. That he won't give us the candidate specification of what he's looking for, and he wants to respect privacy and stuff. What, what does that say to you? Yeah, it was. I, I found it very mealy mouthed and uh, yeah, a bit, a bit arrogant as, as as well. To be honest, Stephen. But just to, I'll, I'll just uh, go on with, from what Laura was saying there. I totally agree with her with regards to this sort of. You, you know, the way that the club's been conducting itself via the media the last couple of years, I actually think that's been one of the biggest shocks to the system throughout. And I think it's just been it become especially apparent this season. And I think that's what's almost shocked us as much as some of the downfall on the park. And um, just the, the, the way that they've been conducting themselves, these are meant to be the leaders of the club. And for as much as I've always always had, you know, a bee in my bonnet about a, a lot of the, the ways in which the guys that run our club the decisions that they make, I did always sort of still have it in the back of my mind that you know these are you know they're they're not the most uh, you know colourful or, or interesting people in the world, but they're you know they're quite quite sober, quite conservative. They, they won't do anything that will sort of damage the club's reputation. Um, but this season, it's just it, it, you almost some of the stuff that they 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 print or they or that they come away with, it just leaves you in complete and utter disbelief. Um, and I think that's why I, I do think, you know, a, a sweeping change, you know, but Peter Lawwell's leaving and if we get Dominic Mackay in there, you know, a, a younger guy, fresh, more fresh, more more modern, um, working hopefully alongside a, a director of football and a, and a, a candidate, a, a manager um, for the modern age with, with sort of modern ideas. It, it, can, it can only be a good thing because the... the just the, the way in which we've um, conducted our business in public uh, this season um, has, I, I would say it's been every bit as damaging to the club as the performances have been on the pitch. Yeah. I mean, Dominic Mackay coming in has a lot of changes to make. And as you said, the whole modernisation of the football club is final. And you, you, you look at the, what, what's the the, fret, the reference people say, the prawn Sammy's brigade, isn't it? They're just sitting, sitting yeah, at yeah. high <laughs> Yeah, sitting there every towers making these decisions with no transparency to Celtic fans. And I have to admit, I fully, I can understand sometimes why that they can't release information. Maybe they've got a candidate that's coming in, but as Laura rightly said, give us a snippet of what this candidate looks like. We don't need a specific name. Give us a profile that we're going for. Give yeah, us a nobody's, that we can nobody's buy expecting at this stage or at any stage for him to come out and say, well, I we're trying to get Rafa Benitez, but he's wanting too much money, so we're negotiating with him and blah, blah. Like, nobody's expecting that level of honesty. Just give us a rough outline of the type of candidate you're looking for and we can get excited off the back of that and we can go on and speculate to our heart's content about what name we think fits that profile. But right now, all he's yeah. done is just kind of slapped us in the back of the wrist and said, sit down. And that's that's yeah. basically it. 
Well, if you, I if think you, you've if given us the fact. So, sorry, Stephen. Just I'll, 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 I'll say this really quickly. Just if if he had said something along the lines of what Laura had suggested, we would be having a different conversation tonight. It would be more energetic um, with regards to you know this section of the debate. You know what what could this mean? Um, what what way? What avenue do we think we're going down? But it's just been you know a lot a lot of empty words again. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys have summed it up perfectly at the end of the segment, uh, the part of the segment anyway. I mean, all we're looking for as Celtic fans, as you're supposed to say it, is transparency, a bit of information of what we're looking for, a bit of vision so that we can buy into next season and ultimately renew season tickets, which is coming up very soon. And a lot of fans, I mean, I would say a high percentage of fans are actually considered renewing, but the times we're in at the moment, we don't know, as Anthony said before, when we're going to get back into football money has to be prioritised in different ways and it's just unfortunate that we find ourselves in this position and, and the club we love isn't really helping that in terms of giving us, uh, us information that we deserve and we've been there for the club pretty thick and thin we've sold our season ticket allocation this season, we've supported them with dodgy streams that are five minutes behind and we're there every day, we're giving their opinions and these platforms are for all you guys and I hope you just want to come on and give us your opinion of what we're speaking about as well and we look forward to discussing that on Twitter or whether it be on Instagram but yeah that's that's the segment brought to an end, guys, and I thank you very much. But we're going to move on to the business side of things, where things get interesting. The the quiz at the moment, Laura. <laughs> oh, at, at, at the moment, Laura, I, I told you on Twitter before, endless Celts actually are winning three 0 over a Celtic state of mind on the on the <laughs> the Celtic quizzes. So you kind of need to get a wee bit of pride back. I mean, you were in the same position as Celtic were in, getting a bit of pride. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> I, walk, this walk... Could, I could be sending us on the way to a kind of Paris Saint-Germain situation here. Like, I think, <laughs> I think I, if you're relying on me to get us back in the game, then then I don't know, I don't know how that's going to go. I don't well, know, Laura. I remember or some of your chats at work together. You are a Celtic encyclopedia, my friend. So yeah, I think <laughs> I could. Don't build uh, me up. I, don't build me up, please. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can hear bum cheeks clenching together from both <laughs> <laughs> there, There's five. There's just five questions again. It's either first to three. Whoever answers the most. I'm not really technical about that. So the prize again, Laura, is just pride. There's there's nothing we can offer. We're all skint on this show, but we'll. We'll crack on, okay? So we'll go with the first question. Nice and easy. What club did Celtic sign Moussa Dembele from? Uh, Fulham. Yes, Anthony. Anthony's won here. Right, come on, Laura. Head in the right. game. Come on. Second, who scored? Well, what Brendan Rodgers signed and scored in his debut at Tynecastle? Got Sinclair. Oh, my uh, God. Right, I think we'll take a wee break here. Hopefully, let um, Laura read some history books. What do you think? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. I had. I did, I listen, had... if you, 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 you give her any advantage, she'll absolutely trample over me. Her, her football knowledge is. Well, you know what they say 2 0 is the most dangerous lead in football. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yes. What is Celtic's record transfer spend, and who did they sign? 9 uh, million. 6 million for. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm. I'll please from the home. What were you going to say, Laura? Six million? Six. I thought six million for. Oh, Edward's nine million. Yeah. Ignore me. Yeah. <laughs> Ignore well, me. You could, you've lost the quiz, Laura. That's pretty oh, up for Anthony. He's got there first. So, I mean, you can tell the guys again at Celtic State of Mind. You tried your best, and we just come up trumps again. That's 4 0. 
think we're going to start a wee page on Twitter to come at you guys with this quiz. Can I just say, if, if I didn't I, I'm going to, this... I'm going to start the Conor McGregor chat here, I think. We'll, we'll, we'll start the trash talk. If I'd, if I'd remembered that this was a kind of fastest finger first situation, I'd have said, oh, I'm definitely out, because that is where I feel. And if I, if I get a chance to muse over things in a kind of university challenge kind of way, then I would have been all right, but you know. Yeah, and uh, it's been a fantastic podcast, guys. And as Conor McGregor usually says, "You'll do nothing. You'll do nothing." <laughs> so You'll do we <laughs> we're in the cells for four and up against you guys, and hopefully that the guests of the future can pull that back for you. And Anthony, thank yourself for coming on to the show. You've been a brilliant guest, and we're going to have you again in the future. Obviously, you're you're a regular contributor. And to your special guest, Laura Bradburn, thanks for coming on. We were thrilled to have you, and I thought. That was a fantastic debate. Um, did you enjoy it, Laura? Oh, it was great, yeah. It's nice to um, yeah. get on a different uh, podcast and get some different views on things and, and, and different points raised because, like we were saying before I came on, you know, it's the, the great thing about these podcasts and about being on things like Twitter with, with other Celtic fans is you never find two people who think exactly the same thing, but that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Yeah, I've, I've realised that quite quickly. I mean, you guys are always the views were mostly against me during this whole podcast from the right, from the get go. <laughs> it was that, an NHS double that, team. <laughs> I mean, that, and can that's I just the, can again, I just clarify? You are in, you should take that entirely personally. Like, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that, Laura. Thank you. <laughs> But guys, I echo what you said, Laura. These platforms are for any Celtic fan who wants to come on, leave comments about their views, and we'll answer back with our views as well. It's, it's just right that we get a platform to, to our opinions, whether it be Celtic State of Mind and the Cells podcast. There's many great others out there. We're, we're just doing our best. We're doing our bit. We're we're here for everybody. It's a football chat. And guys, thanks. thank you very much once again. And until Friday, we another special guest coming on, guys. We'll have Anthony Haggerty of the Celtic State of Mind. That's that's one to look forward to. Former Daily Record journalist, big Celtic fan, lots of opinions on Celtic Football Club at the moment, so we're very excited to hear that. But until then, stay well and keep safe. And also, I'm forgetting my lines here, boys. What's going on? And also, Anthony, your show's dropping tomorrow, the 21st Century Boys. Yeah, it was recorded yesterday, so that's something to look forward to, Anthony. That's coming on. It's, it's a fantastic Absolutely. listen, so it brings back some fantastic memories. And yes, I'm finally getting there. Until we speak again, stay well and keep safe. Hail, hail. <laughs>